Welcome back to the Something for Nothing podcast. It's Steve and Jerry. We're back, and today we're going to talk about a really crazy album. <laughs> the craziest in all of Rush's discog- discography? Discography. Yeah. Very good. Caress of Steel. Yep. Wow. So we, we did Power Windows on the first two podcasts. We mm-hmm. talked about Hold Your Fire on the last two podcasts, and now this is podcast number five, and we're we're going way in a different direction now. Right. We're going almost to the beginning. Caress of Steel. Right. So, you know, I, the first thing I thought about when we were going to do this album is how old were the guys in Rush when they recorded this record? Do you 21. know? They were probably 21, 22 years old. Right. Neil might have been 23. This is the second album they released in 1975. Right. So they recorded the first Rush album. You know, it was released in 74, so they probably recorded in 73. And Getty was born, and and Alex were born in 1953. So that would make them 20 years old. So they were 22 at the oldest when they recorded this record. So it didn't get great reviews. They they don't really like the album. They don't like the album. I think Getty said, uh, I read that he said that they were just pretty high at the time. They were high. They were very high. What was the quote I saw? We we're pretty high, and it sounds like it to me. <laughs> he said that on Beyond the Lighted Stage, the uh, the uh, movie that came out recently. That's a good one. The thing is, I listened to that album three times today. Mm-hmm. The first thing I thought to myself is, if I was high, this would sound way better. Really. Don't you think? I guess so. I really like Caress of Steel. I like Caress of Steel too, but what? I think if I was high, I would have been... You would have been... Over the moon. Right. You know, this is the best thing I've ever heard the in my life. Necromancer. Lo- the best thing I've ever heard in my life. Yeah. And it, it is a great record. It is a great record. When I was huge into Rush, I think like we spoke about earlier, in between Power Windows and Hold Your Fire, in that time, I blew through every Rush album and was a diehard Rush fan. And... One of my favorites was Caress of Steel because it was so weird. Like I had never heard anything before that sounded anything like the Fountain of Lemneth. Oh, yeah. And I would put this on at parties if there was no music on. You'd put this on at parties? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You must have been the life of the party. Exactly. I used to call it (laughs) music to clear a room to because I would put it on and everybody would just drift away. I think maybe that's why Uh, I would do it. That's classic. Yeah, it's not a... It's not a party album. No. No. It's not a crowd pleaser. No, it's not. Um, but I love it. And the thing is, what I was getting to with how old they were, is I think Getty also said that he, he doesn't regret anything that they've done. And yeah. I think the reason that he doesn't is because, I mean, they were 22 years old. If I created this album when I was 22 years old, I'd be damn proud of that. Right. Exactly. Even if I wasn't ha- Look, anything you do when you're 22, if you go back and look at it now, You'd say, well, I would have done this different. I should have done that different. I should have done that different. And I'm sure that's what these guys do. They probably go back and they listen to this. Oh, man, if we knew then what we know now, we would have done a way better record. And I'm sure they would have. Of course, yeah. But they were 22. It's incredible. It really is incredible. It really is amazing. It is. I would love to know. We might have talked about this before, but I've never read anything about how they practiced. Like, how... (laughs) How are you 20 years old playing like they play? It's insane. I don't think 
the process of making a record was the same then that it is now. I mean, you think about it. They wrote this record while they were touring for Fly By Night. I yeah. mean, they were both released the same year. So they, they put out Fly By Night, they were out on the road, and they were writing this record in between shows. Yeah. And then as soon as, as soon as they were done touring, they probably went right in the studio, banged the thing out in a week or two. I mean, I could, I could research this up, and yeah. find out. How else could they have done it, really? Yeah. They banged it out in a couple of weeks. The record company released it, and, uh, and that's the way it was done back then. You, you, know, you had a record deal. Every six months, you put a record out in the 70s. Yeah, it's true. And Even in the 60s. Well, it was great for the fans. Yeah. The Doors put out six albums between 1967 and 1970. I mean, you look at the Beatles. They hit it big in 64, and they were done by 69. And to us, you know, this was all before we were born. Right. Seems like the Beatles must have been around forever, but they were really only around six years. Yeah. Which is crazy. It is crazy considering the number. They didn't tour either after the first. But still, the, the amount of songs that there are that the Beatles recorded. Right. In that tiny time period is amazing. It is. I mean, we could do a whole, I mean, there, I'm sure there are podcasts about the Beatles. We could go crazy. But just Rush doing what they did in that one year, 1975, Fly By Night and Caress of Steel. Yeah. And wow. even if they're not, I, I'm, I know for a fact they're not, pr- they're not really proud of the first three albums. They don't really love them. Really? They even I don't think so. Yeah, they, I mean, he's, I remember seeing in the same movie, uh, Beyond the Lighted Stage. We Getty, saw, I saw that with you. I don't remember. Yeah, Getty <laughs> said something like, you know, he didn't say he hated them. It's just he doesn't like to think about those albums, really. Mm. You know, and I can understand that. I mean, you know, he recorded them all when he was 21, 22 years old. This right. is, you know, stuff he did when he was a kid. Yeah. He's proud of it all, but he enjoys the music that he made later in his life more than those first three records. Yeah, and it didn't do very well, unfortunately, no, at the time. No, uh, And I was reading, uh, let's see, I think on the Billboard 200 chart, it made it to 148 at one point, which was <laughs> low. That's pretty good. Yeah, it's low, but better than any album I've ever recorded. That's true. Or you ever will record, yeah. most likely. Yeah, of course. <laughs> so why don't we start with the first song? Well, I was going to say, oh, go ahead. the tour yes. was... For this album, they had dubbed the Down the Tubes tour. That's how bad this album sold. Yeah. That they were playing smaller places than they were from Fly By Night. They tour. thought they were done. They thought they were done. Yeah. But the album did go gold. Did you know that? But it's one of the few Rush albums that did, that never went platinum. Never. I don't think right. it ever went platinum. But it went gold in 1993. Wow. You've got to be a diehard Rush fan to own Caress of Steel. I mean, it's one of those records that I think only only the diehards really go check out. None of these songs are ever on the radio. No, well, still they may rock. be. No, you think? Yeah, I, I think it's rare, but I think I, I think you can hear it on the radio. But let's talk sure. about Bastille Day. All right, let's do it. Is there a better way to open an album than Bastille Day? Every or, album should open with this song. They should just re-record ev- it every time? Ev- no, any album. Not even just Rush. Oh, so if Godsmack puts an album yep. out, they should cover Bastille Day? Yep. It is <laughs> such a great way to begin. The, their riff in this in Bastille Day is one of my favorite Rush riffs. It's great. Yeah, oh, it it's great. It comes right at you. Oh, it's the best. Yeah, it's, it's just a great song. Yeah. 
is a great song. And remember, when we were talking about Manhattan Project. You asked whether or not Manhattan Project was the only song about a real life event. Ah, it's not Bastille, Bastille Day. Day. Okay, didn't think of that. Yeah, I didn't think about that until I was listening to it. And I said, "Oh yeah, Bastille Day." And do you know what Bastille Day is, and yeah. what the re- well? Why don't you explain that to our non-Canadian fans? Um, Bastille Day was the beginning. We're not Canadian either. I just point that out. Right. Not that. Bas- not that there's anything wrong with that. <laughs> was basically the beginning of the French Revolution, in 1789. And they still celebrate this in Canada. In Canada, I don't think so you don't think so is it bastille day a holiday in canada i mean i don't know what about i mean what about eastern canada which is french canadian no i don't know i don't know I didn't, maybe I didn't we should maybe we that. should be canadian we'd know these things right i mean the, the the french revolution was building up before the bastille was raided but this is considered the beginning of the actual revolution okay and the bastille was a fortress turned into a prison that also was like an armory and it held political prisoners. Um, so that's why it was like the focus of attack on that day because the king would put his political prisoners in there. People mm-hmm. who, were, who were innocent of actual crimes other than like insulting the king or I don't know, trying to overthrow him, which was probably a crime. So that's why the, it was attacked and people were freed. Although there were only six or seven people actually in the Bastille at that time. And they were all imprisoned? Yeah. Wow. And it, because it was a place for political prisoners, it, it was like the symbol of the monarchy and the monarchy's abuse of power. Hmm. So that's another reason why. And Neil's lyrics are great as usual. Yeah. Just a, like you said, a great, a great opener for the record. It is. And I love the ending of the song too. It's just so, you know, it's just like, like a, an anthem, you know, just, yeah. uh, just great ending to the song. Right. Great it's ending. victorious. Yeah, just a, it would be a great ending for a show too. I, I don't know why they never ended shows with Bastille Day. I think back back in those days, I think they, you know, as they tend to do, they would start the show with the first song on the new record, right, or a recent record. Yep. And I think one of the set lists I pulled up from that time. Let's see. This is Massey Hall in Toronto, Massey January Hall, that's where, uh, January tenth, nineteen seventy six. So this that's was where all the world's a stage was recorded. Yeah. Um, they opened with Bastille Day, but I, I always thought Bastille Day would be a great ending to the show. Yeah. Like, a song to end with. Uh, they ended with what you're doing on this particular show. Oh, interesting. Look, I, I like the first album. We can get to that in a later podcast, but not, not one of my top rush albums. Nope. And, okay. um, you know, the song, what you're doing to me isn't a great show ender. If you go back in time, Jer, what era of rush back in time to a, a show that you didn't see, mm-hmm. you know, the first show you saw. Like what you, tour would I like to see? Yeah, you saw Power Windows and every tour after that, so forget those. Anything pre-Power Windows, what mm-hmm. tour would you like to see? I think I would like to see Farewell to Kings. That would be great. Yeah. I mean, I would like to see all of them, but I think right. this. If I could choose one, I think it would be Farewell to Kings. I think this would be cool to see just. Just to see Rush. So do you have a, a, a full set yeah. list? Uh, so Bastille Day was the opening song. Uh, Fly By Night, second. Beneath, Between, Behind. Nice. I think I'm going bald, which I think they rarely played, but on this tour. Yeah, they fill space. Right. You have to fill space, and you, there's only five songs on the record, so you better play them all, right? <laughs> right. Um, By Torn the Snow Dog. Of course. In the End, Making Memories mm. from Fly By Night. Uh, Anthem. 
which would be another great song to open with. Right. The Fountain of Lemneth. I'm gonna. Oh, I'm gonna. They played I'm, the whole thing. Do you think? I guess so. Wow. I guess, yeah, I guess so. Uh, Lakeside Park, the Necromancers. So they did the Necromancer. They did the Necro. I mean, this would be a cool show to have been at. I mean, come on. Like, yeah, I guess so. Best I can in the mood. Working man, finding my way. So they're getting into the first record now, uh, and then Neil's drum solo ended the show, and then wow. then they came back for an encore oh. and did what you're doing. Interesting. But anyway, yeah. So the lyrics of Bastille Day are pretty, pretty harsh. Yeah, it's a it's a violent song. Yeah, it's from the perspective of the revolution. Mm-hmm. Do we both have the vinyl of this? Yeah, I gave that to you, Jerry. Yeah, you did. I had two of these. That's right. I had two copies of uh, the original. Uh, yeah, the gatefold with the gatefold and and all the lyrics in it. Yeah, unreadable. Unreadable. Unreadable lyrics. So I had two copies and I gave one to you. You should right. you should be thrilled. Thanks, Steve. Hey, you're welcome. There's no bread, let him eat cake. There's no end to what they'll take. Flaunt the fruits of noble birth and wash the salt into the earth. It's awesome. It's awesome. It's awesome. Because the whole thing with the, with the there's no bread, let him eat cake is supposedly what Marie Antoinette said. I read about that and everything, Sorry, everything I read said that she never said that. She never said it, no. That would have been a stupid thing to say. Right. Because there was a famine happening at the time as right. well. Or, if they didn't have bread, they certainly didn't have cake. Cake was expensive. Right. One would think. But she <laughs> it was supposed to represent, I think, how out of touch she was with the common man by saying, well, they don't have bread. Why don't they just eat cake? Even though she didn't say it. But it'd be the kind of thing that a stuck up <laughs> right. a queen would say. But it's a great lyric for a song. It is a great lyric for a song. And then wash the salt into the earth is something that the, I think the French monarchy used to do. If you salt uh, ground, nothing, things won't grow there. So in order to like punish people. Are you it, serious? Yeah. They would do that? Yep. They would salt the earth. Ugh. I know, it's crazy. That's brutal. Totally brutal. So this is a, a list of crimes, basically. Yeah. We're listing a, a bunch of crimes. Yeah, that's, that's rough. Yeah, so the first verse, I think, is the crimes of the monarchy, right? Okay. And then the second verse is the punishment of the monarchy, right? Bloodstained, velvet, dirty lace. Naked fear on every face. See them bow their heads to die as we would bow when they rode by. So that's harsh. That is a real harsh lyric. And then we go back to, and we're marching to Bastille Day. This is but, one of those songs, if you didn't read the lyrics, I mean, just listening to the song, there were a lot of, when I first heard the song, the, I didn't know the lyrics because I couldn't right. understand what it's he like was saying. rocks. You know, single choirs of cacophony. I didn't know he was saying that. Right. You know, I didn't know what he was saying. But um, that's a great one too. The yeah. whole, this whole song, lyrically, is one of Neil's best. Oh yeah, I think. But uh, then we get to the end, right? The third verse is an interesting one because it, it takes a little turn, mm-hmm. right? It says, "Lessons taught but never learned. All around us, anger burns. Guide the future by the past. Long ago, the mold was cast." That's awesome. And to me, because what happened after the at, after the French Revolution began was a period of time called the Reign of Terror. Oh, that's all? Yeah, Little Reign of Terror. <laughs> so the the revolutionaries, of course, do what I guess most revolutionaries do, right? They take power, and then they go crazy with power. They did the same thing that the king was doing. They they killed their, their opponents with the guillotine. Hundreds and hundreds of people just chopped their heads off for opposing the revolution. So that's, I think, what, that's what that part of the song is about. Mm-hmm. Lessons taught, never learned. Power isn't all that money buys, Jar. Power isn't all that money buys. What? But what does it? What does that line mean? I don't know. 
You'd have to ask Neil, I guess. When he's on the show, I'll ask him. So yeah. That's not going to happen. You never know. You never know. We could, uh, we could. We'll ask uh, Getty. We'll get Getty on. That, that, that could, that could happen. Maybe. That's my goal for this podcast, Jerry. Right. One day speak to Getty. And uh, the guillotine. We might have to put him in one to get him on the show. You know, the guillotine was named after an actual guy. Guy? Guillotine. <laughs> no, Dr. Joseph Ignacia Guillotine. Really? He created the guillotine. He was a doctor. He created the guillotine as a more humane, humane way to execute prisoners. Because you chop the head right off and you're right. dead instantly. Yeah. That is, that is kind of humane, actually. Right. But he didn't want people to call it the guillotine after him. He was not pleased with that. But that's what it is. Right. He was just like, hey, look, I, I created this way to <laughs> kill people painlessly. And they're like, oh, the guillotine? And he's like, no, no, not the guillotine. <laughs> no, no, it's not the guillotine. They're like, hey, it's the guillotine. Everyone, come look at the guillotine. I don't want to go off on a tangent here, no, but I read recently um, that the torture device, the Iron Maiden, never really existed. Never existed, right. I never knew that. I just assumed, I'd seen pictures of Iron Maidens before. And because of the band Iron Maiden, I guess I'd, you know, look it up and see what an right. Iron Maiden was. There were things like it, but nothing exactly like it. Listen, if there are if there is a way to kill or torture someone, people have already thought it up. <laughs> yeah, but it seems like that would that would be kind of torturous, don't right. you think? I think they, there were things that you know you could put somebody in a box and I don't know, drive nails through their eyes or something. I'm not sure what you would do to somebody, but. As opposed to the, the sarcophagus-looking thing with all the spikes. I don't think they did that. Hmm. But it's a great band name, though, so who cares? Absolutely. Right. And Mr. Guillotine didn't get his wish. He did not get but, his wish. But we still know his name, so maybe he should have been happy about that. Yeah, but it's just associated with chopping someone's head off. That's true. But I didn't even know it was named after him until you told me. Oh, really? So. No, no idea. Uh, so shall we move on to uh, track two on Caress of Steel? I think I'm going bald. I looked in the mirror today. My eyes just didn't seem so bright. I've lost a few more hairs. I think I'm, I'm going bald. I think I'm going bald. I don't think you are. You're looking pretty good, Jack. <laughs> Thanks, Steve. I am. I know I'm going bald. This, this has to be one of my least favorite Rush, Rush songs. songs. Yeah. See, I don't think, I think this was kind of meant as a, as a gag more yeah, than well, anything else. I, I found out that it was written for Kim Mitchell. Really? He is the front man of? Max Webster. And Max Webster comes into play. They're buddies with these guys. Yeah. I guess Max, Max Webster, I guess this guy, Kim was going bald or afraid of going bald or I don't know if bald, I don't even know if balding has anything to do with the song for real because it's a it's an actual it has actual meaning to mm -hmm. it beyond going bald I think just going bald is just a, a way of expressing passage of time which Neil Always touches does. on yeah. throughout Rush's history even as a young man yeah and he was what 23 when he wrote yeah. this uh, I, I read uh, according to Getty this was from an interview in 2004. We were touring a lot with Kiss in those days, and they had a song called I Think I'm Going Blind. So we were talking the piss out of that title <laughs> by just coming up with this. 
Neil came up with this line, I think I'm going bald because Alex always worried about losing his hair, even though he's not losing his hair, at least at the time, I guess he wasn't. So he would try all kinds of ingredients to put on his scalp. (laughs) And I think that it got Neil thinking about aging, even though we weren't aging yet and had no right to talk about that kind of stuff yet. And he said, uh, it just became kind of a funny song, even though the song isn't funny. It kind right. of is, and the music's really goofy. <laughs> Even though it's not funny, it kind of is. <laughs> a lot of people mistake us for being deadly serious, but some of our songs are just plain goofy. And oh. there, and you know, as we as we know, after seeing seeing Rush, Alex and Neil and Getty together, I mean, they're goofy guys. They are goofy guys. I w- don't think I would ever. I mean, I personally would would call a song like uh, the Twilight Zone goofy, but I'm just surprised that <laughs> they refer to some of their songs as goofy. Well, I mean, I think they just, uh, you know, it was just one of those songs uh, they came up with and decided, what the hell, let's do it, you know? But it is an interesting song, even though I don't like it that much, about uh, just going bald. I'm not going bald, getting older. Getting older. Getting older. Yeah. And then realizing that even though you are getting older, you can still do it your way, right? That's what it says at the end. My life is slipping away. I'm aging every day. But even when I am gray, I'll still be gray my way. Right. Yeah. That's Neil for <laughs> But you know, it's also the, the, one of my favorite lines is once we love the flowers, but now we ask the price of the land. Once we would take water, but now it must be wine. It's awesome. It is awesome. Because at, at one point in, in everyone's life when they're young, they're satisfied with what they have, but the more you have, the less satisfied you are mm-hmm. with the things that you have. So it has to be better and better and better. But you know, you said this is one of your isn't one of your favorite songs, but I think these are some of Neil's best lyrics. You know, I think they're great. Yeah, they are great. I just wish they were in another song. <laughs> I just it's just it's just the, the, the title, title of the song, of the song and yeah. the way he says it sometimes is like I I think I'm going bald. Right. It just sounds. I pissed. think I'm going bald. <laughs> <laughs> wink, wink. Oh man. But yeah, so. It's, so it's not it's not the best way to get an album going like Bastille Day. This album's on fire with Bastille Day, and then and then, I think I'm going bald. And then it just comes, it comes to, to a, a screeching, screeching halt. halt. Okay, I understand. What do you think the line "We walk down Vanity Fair"? What does that mean? Walk down, What's Vanity Fair? I tried to figure out what that is. Vanity Fair was the is the name of a novel. Oh, really? By someone I don't remember what it is. But Vanity Fair in general is. Is a fair being um, like like a celebration, you know, like a county oh, okay. fair or whatever. And a van- vanity fair is is a place of frivolity where everyone there is vain. So if you go down Vanity Fair, oh, I see. You're, you're dressed up really nice, and it's all superficiality. So maybe that's why you're feeling insecure about yes. going bald. Yep, because you're. Walking down Vanity Fair. Right. What's the actual lyric? Uh, I'd have to find it. I just wrote down that one. Walk down Vanity Fair, memory lane everywhere, Wall Street shuffles there, dressed in flowing hair. Yeah. So yeah, I'm assuming that everyone there has a full head of hair and it's making him insecure. Right. He feels- The um, guy from Max Webster. The guy from Max Webster, yeah. Was walking down this place <laughs> where everybody is, is into frivolity and is trying to look their best and he's- self-conscious about losing his hair but then at the end he's like no way i'm gonna do it my own way yeah that's what i'm doing i'm going bald my way your way steve my way how is it how is it different from every other way 
I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> um, so uh, track three on Caress of Steel. Yeah, Lakeside Park. Lakeside Park. Lakeside Park. Willows in the breeze. Lakeside Park. So many memories. Laughing rhymes. Midway lights. Shining stars on summer nights. One of my favorites. Yeah. So here's a quote I got from Getty in 1993. If I hear Lakeside Park on the radio, I cringe. What a lousy song. What? I still don't regret anything we've done. But That's what he said? That's what he said. Yeah. So I, they, they I disagree really, with him. I, I disagree too. I think it's a great song. And they I played think, Lakeside well, Park they did. on R40. Because while they were, is that the only song from Crest of Steel they did? Did they do Bastille Day also? They did, didn't they? I'd have to look up the set list. I yeah. don't remember. But, I, I mean, I think it's a great song, but that's the first time they did Lakeside, Lakeside Park in a long time. I'm surprised to hear that. Yeah. Interesting, right? Yeah. Because, to me, this is a side of Rush that I think Rush critics don't see. Because this is not a crazy prog song. No. This isn't Getty wailing at the mm-hmm. top of his lungs. It's a, it's a sober song about, you know, missing your youth. It's a sweet song, almost. I mean, that musicianship is great throughout it, of course, and, he's, and Neil has some great fills, but it is not an you know, all-out rush extravaganza song. No. It's a straight-up song. Yeah, it's a great song, too. It's a great song. And it's about specifically Neil's youth. Neil's youth. He used to work at Lakeside Park. Yes, in St. Catharines, Ontario. Sure. And I was lucky enough to actually go to Lakeside Park, Jer. I know. I know. I was on my way to, uh, as Getty does often, to a Toronto Blue Jays game. I'm a baseball fan, so I was driving to Toronto, and St. Catharines was on the way, and as the idiot Rush fan that I am, I, of course, had to stop there. Took a bunch of pictures. What was it like? It's just a a park? Just a park. By um, a lake? Park by a lake, of course. I checked for the willows. The willows were there. Oh, nice. I'm going to post, uh, you know, I'll give them to you as well. The post on Instagram will oh, put sure. this podcast out. We'll yeah. post the pictures I took there. There was an old concession stand, willows, the willows in the breeze line. So the willows were there. Was there a merry-go-round? Uh, there was a merry-go-round. Was there really? Yeah, there was. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, I- I'm not sure if if it's still in use the way it used to be. It was a little bit run down, but it was still still there. Still looked nice. There was um, a pier, kind of a, a, almost a cement pier. Mm-hmm. It wasn't made of wood. That was blocked off by a fence. You couldn't go out there. But it was nice. It looked like, you know, back in the day, it would have been a great place to, to live and work. Yeah. And I had lunch up the street, and it was awesome. I wonder Forget if, it's, the a, the if it's a place that Rush fans go. I mean, obviously. I went. would think so. I mean, I did it. Why wouldn't you? Just, right. to, just to go check it out. I mean, it's there. Right. It's an iconic song. And for Rush fans, it's kind of a cool place to check out. Yeah. And I figured since I'm driving by, why not? Yeah. Need to stop to eat. So let's stop in St. Catharines, get some food, and check out Lakeside Park. Were you with other Rush fans? I was with my brother, who's not a Rush fan. He didn't really care. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but he, hey, you know, he, he, he indulged me. Yeah, he went to a park for lunch. Yeah, we went, to a, we went to lunch, and we just walked through this park, and... Uh, I think the day to go there, Jer, is the 24th of May, and then find out if Rush fans go there. That's true. Because if Rush fans go there, that's the day they yeah, go. Yeah, I lo- had to look up what 
significance the 24th of May was. And it's Victoria Day. Mm-hmm. It celebrates the, the birthday of Queen Victoria. Her, her birthday is actually on the 24th of May. And I would imagine on that day, it was a busy day at Lakeside Park. Right. But it's also a, it's a national holiday, the celebration of the Queen's birthday. In is, Canada. In Canada, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's the, actually, I think it was the, Canada is the only country that officially celebrates Queen Victoria's birthday. Hmm. But the holiday itself, it isn't on the 24th every year. It can fall anywhere between the 18th and the 24th of May. Really? Yeah. So it's on uh, a Monday, somewhere between that. But maybe it's, it just worked with the lyrics, the 24th of May probably right. sounded better than the because, 22nd because it can be on the 24th. Yeah. And it's, so it's celebrated on the last Monday, uh, last Monday preceding the 24th. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I found a, a quote from Neil. Uh, this is from his book, Traveling Music. Um, he said, another important setting in my childhood and early teens was Lakeside Park. When I was 14 and 15, I worked summers at Lakeside Park as a barker. There was music. Some of the kids brought transistor radios to work, and the music of that summer of 1966 played up and down the Midway. At night when the Midway closed, we gathered around a fire on the beach singing. Lakeside Park resonated in my life in so many deep ways, especially in those fundamental exposures to music that would be forever important. It's all gone now. All that's left, apart from the memories, is the old merry-go-round. Wow. And it is still there. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's a beautiful song. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. I mean, it's really, I think, one of the only Rush, song, Rush songs that you can actually call beautiful. In, yeah. Because in, in a different way, you know what I mean? Because it's just so sentimental. It's just a great song. I don't know. You know, I really, it, it makes me think, you know, what we were talking about before, how um, Getty especially isn't fond of this record, or I guess even Fly By Night, or the first record, you know? I wish they, they liked it as much as we do, the right. Rush fans, because I would guess... You can, you know, you can let us know on social media what you guys think of, uh, of this album. I, I would imagine that most Rush fans love it as much as we do. Right. At least 500,000 of them. Oh, absolutely. I mean, Lakeside Park, I mean, when they played that on that R40 tour, people went crazy. Yeah. Because that's the first, I mean, it's the first time I ever saw them play it. Yeah. So. It was a great choice. Yeah. I mean, and as you know, whenever I went to see a Rush show, all I wanted was them to play a song that I had never seen them play right. before. Because, you know, we know everything, you know, and we've seen them play Tom Sawyer and Limelight and all those songs yep. a billion times. But to see them do Lakeside Park, I mean, that was just, that was awesome. Yeah, it was. You know? and that, that makes sense now that, that, but Neil was a barker. It's the first line of the song, Midway Hawkers calling, try your luck with me. There you go. That was him. Yep. Which I, wonder- I find hard to believe, right? He's kind of an introspective yeah. guy. Yeah. Well, what else was Calling he going to do there? Calling out to people to spend their dimes on his... Better doing that than running the carousel, I guess. Yeah, or the concession stand. Right. Well, he had to do something. Nothing, uh, nothing against concession stand workers. Are you sure? <laughs> so let's move on to the last song on side one of Caress of Steel, which is The Necromancer. The Necromancer. So we go from Lakeside Park, a beautiful, a beautiful song, song, beautiful song, to The Necromancer. Whatever The Necromancer is. <laughs> <laughs> Rooting in the tower Watching for his lines Holding up a creature How does he may stand Gazing to his prisms Knowing they are near Leads up to the dark 
is a necromancer, Jared? Why don't we start there? Um, it's something from uh, from those Tolkien books, like okay. the, Lord of the Lord of the Rings or The Hobbit. I'm not into neither am Tolkien, I. So I, now, now please don't. Anything I say will be wrong. So just know that I know it already. And I'm sure there are a lot there are a lot of Tolkien fans of out there. Yeah. And I'm sure there are a lot of Tolkien fans who are also Rush fans, right? Of course, yeah. So, um, so, so the Necromancer is another name for a character named Sauron. Okay. Um, and evidently, he's the he's the big bad of the Lord of the Rings in general. Now, isn't necromancy? I guess is that what it's called? Isn't that black magic? Yeah, it's like black magic. Or like, yeah. sa- is it Satanism though? Mm, no, I don't think so. There was a I had this book in high school called the Necromonicon. Yeah, but that's see that's what I was thinking. Isn't yeah. that the Satan Bible? I guess so. It was filled. <laughs> it was so ridiculous. I remember. Hang on a second, Jared. Why did you have the Satan Bible? Because I was. I don't know. I wanted to make salt pentagrams. I don't remember exactly <laughs> what was in this dumb. There were things in there about how to how to make people love you and, and how to curse your enemies. And, did it work? I don't know. I didn't do any of these <laughs> dumb things. I'm, I'm a skeptic, so I was reading it and like this is never going to work. Who would do this? Oh man. Um, I do remember though that. Uh, our religion teacher in high school. Uh, I think I mentioned to him that I had the Necromonicon and he wasn't very He didn't happy. like you after that, did he? No, he still liked me. He just was like, you shouldn't be dabbling in this. I'm like, I'm not dabbling in it. I'm reading this dumb book. It's a stupid book. And it got on at midnight on a blue moon. And Don't dabble in Satanism, Jer. Come on. Come on. Oh, that's fine. So I think I, this, the Necromancer has to be the deepest of all deep cuts of Rush. Right? Yeah, that's, if you know the Necromancer, you're a Rush fan. You're a Rush fan yeah. because nobody's listened to the Necromancer. I think on a regular basis, it's never been on the radio. Never <laughs> been on the radio. I'm sure there are some people who are like, "I love the Necromancer." Yeah, okay, but it's <laughs> a, a weird, deeply weird song. Oh yeah. In the liner notes, it says the Necromancer, a short story by Rush, <laughs> and. It, there's so many things I don't like about this song. Oh, really? You, you hate this song? No, I don't hate it. Okay. I don't like it. Okay. As I've said before, you know, except for Ty Shan. Okay. Oh, yeah. You know, I was supposed to listen to Ty Shan. I oh, did listen to Ty Shan. Did you? I did. And? Still don't like it. Okay. <laughs> now I don't like it even more because I actually listened to the lyrics. Okay. All right. At least you did your homework this I time. I don't like how the, the voiceover in the song Three men of Willowdale. That part, you know. Right. <laughs> now the Which three men of Willowdale. It's them. It's them, right? right. They're that's from. Where they got, that's where their band started. Basically, is a, a suburb. Right, but Willowdale. but that kind of sounds like a Tolkienish. It does. Right, even uh-huh. the, though it's not. I assume that was a Tolkien place, but right. Willowdale is where Getty and Alex grew up, right? I think it was where they played the most in like bars where they started. Okay. Out. It was like a section. But Neil wasn't part of that, though, or where was he? That's why the three men kind of threw, threw me off. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it was just a, he was mis- making a reference to the beginnings of the band, even though he wasn't in it. Right. Okay. But, th- but that does refer to them. It does refer to them. Okay. So the, the voiceover tells you what's going on in the story, and then the verses basically retell what the voiceover said. Okay. The whole song. It doesn't, the voiceover, there's no reason for the voiceover to be there at all. But they were stoned, Jared. They Come were on. so stoned. Totally. They were just throwing stuff up at a wall. Right. 
The thing about this album, Jared, that I think is hugely important is this kind of sets up 2112. I think of this course. album had to happen in order for 2112 to happen. You mean this it is had w- to be a commercial failure? No, I think they experimented on this album and did all the things they wanted to do, like these long epic songs, and then they went in and did 2112 and perfected it. Sure. You know, they... they they gave it a shot with this album. This isn't exactly how they envisioned it turning out. And then 2112 became, you know, the song specifically 2112 became really what they were going after. Yeah. You know, but I also think that, I mean, I think I've heard this before is that because this album didn't do very well and they were, I don't know if they were under threat of being dropped by the label, but the label was definitely pressuring them to get a hit album. Right. That they were just like, well, if this is going to be our last album with this label let's just go all out and do what we want and the and they did 2112 right which i'm sure the label was not happy about. no not at all not at all and then it became you know that really what launched their career yeah i mean that i mean we can talk about this when we do 2112 but i mean if that album failed like this one did that would have been rush's last album yep and thankfully it was not that did not happen that did not happen i don't dislike this song i mean it's it's okay well, there are some things I do like about it, right? In part two, was it Under the Shadow? Okay. Neil's drums are crazy. Oh, right? yeah. There's that part at the end where they're just all going mm-hmm. crazy. And I'm assuming that's supposed to be the battle. Right. I don't really want to go through the story, because I think when we talk about the Fountain of Lemneth, we're going to be talking story. Right. So, I don't know. They go into the Valley of the Necromancer. I don't know why. <laughs> the Necromancer it's fights there. them. Okay. Or something, and that's what that huge jam is at the end of the second second movement of the song. And then at the end, uh, Prince Bytor comes right. from Bytor fly, and the Snow Dog. Fly by Night, right. Fly by Night to save the day for no reason. Yeah, it says... Just uh, making a cameo. I don't know This why. is from uh, Song Facts. Bytor, or in this case, Prince Bytor, appears to battle for freedom and slays his foes in part three of the Necromancer. Yep. Return of the Prince... Bytor made his debut in Rush's previous album, Fly By Night, in which he lost the battle with the snow dog. Neil, I had a nickel for every time I lost the battle with the snow dog. And a rare quote from Neil, I guess he's like all of us, sometimes good, and sometimes he's bad. <laughs> what Oh, because he was battling the snow dog and I the snow guess, dog was good? I guess. I don't know. I don't know. He was high when he wrote oh, this. Oh, Totally. Totally. Just imagine yeah. what they were smoking on tour, fly by night, and you know, right. after after the the show, they go in and write this stuff. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a little weird to be on the tour bus with Rush in 1975. Must have been uh, an exciting thing. Well, the Down the to- Tubes tour, they called it. So yeah, uh, that was this tour. They were writing 2112 on the Down the Tubes tour. I, right? I mean, I guess maybe they yeah. did that afterwards. Yeah. I think they they must have been writing the music and the lyrics while they were touring. I don't you know? know. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. It's amazing. It so um, I think that's enough Necromancer, Jar. You know, you should get back to reading Necronomicon the tonight. Necromonicon. Necromonicon? Necrom- I thought it was Necronomicon. <laughs> or is that Comic-Con? Necrocomicon. That's a book I'm going to write. <laughs> But anyhow, I think um, I think we should wrap up uh, this podcast because the next one we're going to do the Fountain of Lamneth. Is that thing. how you say it? we're going to do? That's, that's all we're going to talk about for a half hour. Maybe 
Wow. Yeah. There's a lot to unpack in the Fountain of Limeness. I can guarantee you there may have been other Rush podcasts before, but there was no Rush podcast that did one entire podcast on that song. And that's what we're about to do. Right. I bet you those podcasts were listened to, though. I don't know if anyone's going to make it through an entire half hour of the Fountain of Lemneth. Well, we're going to find out. We are going to find out. We are going to find out. So you can follow us on Twitter at at Rush Fancast, Instagram, The Rush Cast. Sure. Email. Jerry is handling the email. So please email him, therushcast at gmail.com. And um, just to, to peel back the curtain a little bit. Oh, boy. Yeah, let's peel back the curtain. We're recording these initial podcasts before we release any podcast. We decided to get get a bunch in the hopper before we start putting them out. Sure. So uh, I created this Twitter account. The podcast hasn't even been out yet. We're about to hit 100 followers on Twitter I know, already, Jeff. I can't Jer. believe it. It's pretty good. So it the, is. the Rush fans are, are getting ready to listen to this. They're trickling and in. And by the time you hear this, I don't know how many followers we're going to have. Hopefully, many more. Yeah. 110. 110. We'll see. But uh, thanks for following us on Twitter. Yes. Especially thank you to the people who followed us before they even heard the podcast, which is- You're the real heroes. They're the real heroes. They really are. So until next time, uh, we're going to do the Fountain of Lemneth. And uh, do you have a quote for me, Jared, to to wrap us up with? Yep. Remember, Steve, power isn't all that money buys. So true. Yep.